Welcome to the Caring Together podcast. Caring for a loved one can be one of life's greatest privileges, but caregiving can also be overwhelming, exhausting, and isolating. Whether you're currently a caregiver or just want to learn more about caregiving, we're glad you're here. And I'm Jack Baker. I'm one of your co-hosts. I've been involved with supporting seniors and a caregiver myself for over four decades. And I'm your other co-host, Amy Smythe, with the Area Agency on Aging, Region 1B. In this season of the Caring Together podcast, we're focusing on what it takes not just to survive, but to thrive mind, body, and soul during your caregiving journey. We're grateful to our sponsor for making this season possible, the Ralph C. Wilson Jr. Legacy Fund for Caregivers at the Community Foundation for Southeast Michigan, with additional support provided by the Area Agency on Aging 1B. Welcome to episode three of our second season of the Caring Together podcast. We're joined again by Jill Gaffner-Livingston, who is a certified dementia practitioner, an Alzheimer's disease and dementia trainer through the International and National Council of Certified Dementia Practitioners, and has literally trained a thousand or more of formal and family caregivers around the world. If you haven't yet heard Jill's story, we encourage you to listen to episode one. Better yet, go ahead and subscribe to the podcast so you can hear all the episodes whenever you need some additional encouragement. Again, welcome back, Jill. Um, Thank you. Last episode, uh, we talked about how self-care for caregivers was not indulgent, but a matter of survival and what can happen when we ignore caring for ourselves. But we aren't leaving people there. Today, we're going to help them make a plan. One of the key ways you equip caregivers through your caregiver survival workshop is by helping them develop this plan. That's right. So the let me take a couple steps backwards because the plan the plan took time. Um, it wasn't until I hit bottom that I recognized I even needed a plan. Uh, when we go when I go back to thinking about the days uh, back in early two thousand, um, maybe two thousand three, two thousand four. I had hit rock bottom and and I knew that I had and I had made mention in in one of the prior episodes that I literally said out loud I could live or die and dying didn't sound so bad that the stress became immense and the the uh, ability to find help was very difficult uh, course caregivers have come a long way since then but you know even so going through all the medical instructions for Bob and you know this is what he needs this is his medicine these are his his routines and this is what he has to have there isn't anything like that for a caregiver so oftentimes I'd be behind him going well doctor what about me or you know if I had to take him home from a hospital visit and I got the orders and I, I was scared to death about these orders because it was just me as a caregiver and how was I going to pull all this off while maintaining a family and the kids and the bills and the work and and it just got to be so much and then of course I, I ran into that statistic that said that so many caregivers back then it was 50 million today it's 65 million and it's only getting larger how many of them will actually pass away before their patient due to the amount of stress that they have? 
So all this is kind of leading up to this survival plan of mine because I thought, boy, oh boy, I can't find anyone or anything to save me. And yet I, I need, you know, the kids need me, Bob needs me. I needed to make sure that, that I remained healthy. So after searching, you know, uh, everywhere, locally everywhere, uh, for network groups, which, by the way, weren't a big thing back then. I finally decided that if I'm going to survive this thing, it's got to come from me. And and that's how this whole thing started. So I, what I uh, originally, what I would do is if I had a moment of joy or relief or I just felt emotionally stable, I kind of kind of went back through thinking, what did I do to get here? Like, you know, what have I done in the last 15 minutes, 30 minutes, hour, whatever it was? And because we know emotions come and go so quickly, it was one of those things that I would write it down on a yellow sticky note. Really, that's that's how it all started. And I would put them all over my house. And then you know, I would look at them, I would read them, and I would try to repeat them, thinking, well, you know, if I exerted energy, somehow I felt a little bit better. Okay, energy makes a difference. Or if I read something or I talked about something else, well, that seemed to make a difference. So Jill, well, what, what, what yeah. were you writing on these sticky notes? Oh, everything from, you know, today, I, it's like little diary notes. You know, I'm talking about, um, you know, kids' artwork. I feel good just for a minute. Or, you know, energy. If I, if I did something that had energy to it, I would write down that activity to say, okay, if I do this again, it'll feel good. And so I had these things around. And someone made a mention, Jill, you got to publish your sticky notes because, hmm. you know, these, this is what you're working with is all these yellow sticky notes. And I did. And that's how the plan was published back in, in 06. And uh, personal positioning for the caregiver was based on what I learned about myself and when I felt better. And I had to feel better more often. And that was the goal. Like, how do I get these little you know, moments of joy to last longer and become more frequent? So knowing, you know, it's one thing to say, this is it, but it's the other one, you have to realize what, what are my boundaries or, you know, what am I, you know, one of the things I knew is that my plan couldn't be expensive or have any kind of financial uh, uh, cost to it because caregivers can be tight, beyond tight, mm -hmm. right? Uh, we, we use all our money typically for our, our, our loved one, our patient, our situation. Uh, and time, we don't have any time. And that's one of the biggest things I hear is I don't have any time. So I knew that was a big thing. I didn't have time either. But I came out with a three-part true survival plan for myself. It really wasn't intended to be published when I wrote it. It was intended to save me. And the very first thing I had to do, and I tell this to everyone, is I had to admit that I mattered. Mm -hmm. I'm sure a lot of the listeners can relate to the feelings you're describing because over the long haul, you reach these points and it sounds like you, like many, don't know where to turn. The difference is you did kind of figure out a path for it. Can you tell us a little more about that? Sure, absolutely. So once I decided, you know what, I don't have a choice. I have to survive this. And yes, I matter. And yes, if it's coming from anywhere, I'm going to stop looking at other people to bring me relief. I got to find it myself. So that was the first thing. 
I also had to realize that, you know what, I, I couldn't handle everything and I wanted to get rid of the small stuff. And you hear that, don't sweat the small stuff. And there's a lot of life that is really just small stuff. You know, I, so what there's dishes in the sink, so what? So what things aren't perfect or, or even close to perfect, perfect, you can never reach perfection anyway. So, you know, kind of letting go of the little things in life and concentrating on what mattered. But the, the program actually was, is three parts. And to this day, I still work the same three parts. So the first one is mind, right? So I looked at the way that, that our body, everybody, every human being is built. And we are built to think, feel, and do. So I thought I got to do something about the way I think. Myself, like a lot of caregivers, every single thing we think about starts and ends with our patient. If it's not how are they and their meds and their health, it's about finances and you know just everything just kind of goes you know catastrophes we're just constantly going through all these things when we talk to other people what's the first thing that comes out of our mouth well something about our our patient or our disaster or our issues or our sadness or and i was talking myself into this every day every day and i thought boy this can't be good for your for your mind Make matters worse, you know, we had talked about friendships yesterday. People don't always want to hear this kind of stuff either. And so I knew that I had to change my mindset. What I started doing was, we didn't have the internet back there. Then I went to the library and I picked up a book and it was of positive phrases. That's all it was. And I carried that book with me. And as I went to work, as I had conversations with others, I would choose one positive theme a day and I would talk about it. So it's one thing to pick it out, but then you have to use it. So, you know, and, and even when I'm working with, with groups, I'll tell people it doesn't have to be anything sophisticated. You can use your, your children or your grandchildren's artwork or a good story about a sports team they're on, or there are good things happening in this world. But as a caregiver, and as we keep getting, you know, going backwards into behind that shadow that we talked about in the earlier episode, we tend not to see the world as a, a in positive things. We talk more into our issues and our and our patient. I can remember people running, going, "Jill, Jill, wait, hang on a minute," and they'd come all the way up, and I'd think, "Oh, this is nice, you know, a conversation." And the first thing they'd say is, "Oh, by the way, how's Bob?" Well, I'm glad they asked about Bob, but there again, there's no recognizing the caregiver, right? So I had to start talking about things that people wanted to talk about. And quite frankly, it could change my mindset. It changed opportunities for conversation. And now I'm not, I wasn't reducing the care for Bob, not whatsoever. I was helping my mind see clearly that there are still good things going on and I'm still healthy. And remember how we talked about shadowing, right? And, and mimicking, and we can easily become the mind of our patient. We have to make sure that, you know, we are the healthy one. We have to think healthy thoughts, use healthy thoughts, uh, communicate healthy conversation. And this was my way of doing that. So finding a way to talk, you know, change your mindset by getting something positive. That was the first step. 
The second thing is uh, body. So it's mind, body, soul. The second one was, was body. My yellow sticky notes, the theme on so many of them was that when I did something, I cut the grass, I felt better. Or I did something, you know, around the house, I felt better. And so I bought a $25 uh, treadmill from a garage sale. And I put it in my family room. I remember when my younger sister came in and she says, oh, do you need some help getting that to the basement? <laughs> I said, no, that can't go in the basement. I'll never use it. Mm -hmm. I put it smack dab in the family room, which was right in the middle of the action of my family. But I was, you know, I was the one that managed the action. So I, I had to be right in the middle of it. And I started walking at five o'clock in the morning, one mile, which is 15 minutes for me. And today I still do one mile, 15 minutes. I, I've never gone past that. I will never be a runner. I'm not asking people to exercise. I'm asking them to energize for 15 minutes. That's all it is, 15 minutes. But you have to do that to change your body. I mean, we know how depression works. You think the depressed thoughts, your body, which is brilliant, says, hey, hold on to all that energy. You're not going to be using it. It stores it, which gives us no energy to get up and move around, which is why you hear so many people that have depression, what do they do all day? Sleep, right? Or lay around. They don't want to do anything. Because the body says, I'm not going to give you energy. You're not using it anyway. Look at those depressed thoughts you got. So I thought if I could change that around uh, and perhaps I can get those endorphins going, well, I'm going to give it a shot. And sure enough, 15 minutes is what it had, what I got in, in what worked. So now I got my mind changing the way I think and my body with 15 minutes of energy changing. And then the final was my soul. And this is probably the one that took the longest to change. But when I was, um, I, we mentioned in my story that Bob was diagnosed with his brain tumor when we were on a short vacation in Houston. And I mentioned that we went to the hospital in Katy, Texas, and, uh, and Bob had been a disc jockey there in the, the Houston area. So Katy, Texas, which diagnosed him with his brain tumor, they recognized the fact that he had a lot of friends and uh, contacts there in Houston. And they also were the ones that gave Bob two weeks to live, if you remember that part of the story. Mm -hmm. So they gave us this hallway and they put out refreshments and they allowed the public to come in and say goodbye to him. Remember, there was zero chance of his survival. So it was kind of like a living funeral, I guess. And and, uh, you know, I just was devastated. I, I'm sure you can imagine. And my friends, um, Cecil, who was the, uh, the traffic helicopter guy from the radio station, Jet Chopper or whatever, he just kept saying to me, Jill, let go and let God, let go and let God. And boy, if he said it once, he said it a hundred times. And I did not have any connection with what he was saying. As a matter of fact, I kept thinking, let, I want to let go on you. <laughs> like, I just, I couldn't connect with that. Right. But he did. He said it over and over. Okay, now fast forward to me making my plan. And all of a sudden, here comes this light going, oh, this is what Cecil meant. I have been holding myself accountable as a caregiver to things I don't control. And I have to let go of those things 
and let God. So that third part of the program, mind, um, uh, body, and soul, the third part, the soul part, I had to take a piece of paper, draw a line down the middle, and on the left-hand side, I put all of the tasks that I controlled. But on the right side, I had to put all the things I did not control. And then I had to willingly give it up to my higher power, which for me is God. And, and I had to trust that he was going to take care of that right side. And he could trust that I was going to take care of my left side. And I had to go through that every single day because I think as caregivers, we get all wrapped up on the wrong side. And no wonder we have so much guilt. We hold ourselves accountable to what the Almighty's job is, not, not ours. Yeah, I've, I've often felt that as caregivers, some of the very hardest parts are the uncertainties that you have you know, what's going to happen, right? What's the progression of this going to be? And in fact, all those probably belong on your side of things you can't control, right? That's, that's a lot of the hardest parts. And so what you're saying is that you've kind of shifted your focus to only focus on those which you could control. Is that? That's right. And that which you can control, right? And then you go through there and you are the best of the best of the things you can control. And that made a big difference. So my three-part program is just that. One, change what you're talking about and change your, your energy to 15 minutes of energizing a day. And, and I don't call it exercise because so many people said, hey, Jill, <laughs> I have never exercised you know, in all my life. I am not going to start now. And I'm like, hey, I, you know, I, I totally get it. So let's just call it energize. Walk to the mailbox twice as often as you do. Go up and down the stairs. Dance in place. Uh, you know, do something for 15 minutes, and it will make a difference. Now, I also believe that in a in a program like this, uh, one, you have to write things down. Don't just say, "Oh, I'm going to do it," because that's not. That's not a program. It's just a good idea. And we always forget good ideas. You know, we meant to do it. We forgot to do it. But writing it down makes a difference. And put it smack dab in front of you. Put your program on your refrigerator. Put it on your bedroom mirror. Put it in your bathroom. But be reminded that, listen, you need 15 minutes dedicated to yourself. And then pretty soon this becomes your routine. And we know routines are healthy. For everybody, routines are healthy. Some of our other guests had talked about the importance in their situation of journaling. Would you say that you kept a journal of this or was it more the daily plan that kind of went up on the refrigerator? No, it was a daily plan for me. I had a journal for Bob because I, the hospital and the doctors all suggested that we keep that a day-to-day -day journal for him. But for myself, I don't think I necessarily thought of it as a jerk it was just uh this is what you do every single day and and i mentioned to you i still do it because uh and i think we brought this up in a prior episode too was that this survival plan has to be maintained even after we stop caregiving because the risks for three years following, we still, we have statistics that show depression will follow us. Uh, in a different level, 
right? We no longer are caring for our patient, but now we're reviewing and, you know, we're critiquing those years and what we did and what we didn't do and how well we did it and what should we have done and where do I go from here and reinventing ourselves. And it can be very hard on us. So this three-part 15-minute plan I'm still doing it seven years later, but I encourage people to do it for at least three years. What I like about your, what you're saying, Jill, is it's so simple and attainable for people. You know, it's not, you need your 45 minutes or three miles. It's not your read a book every week or whatever, but it's these, these very accessible nuggets of, of information or, um, you know, activity, whatever to incorporate in an already busy schedule. So I appreciate that you, you took that into account. And it's, I mean, I was thinking for myself, I'm like, well, you know what, I need to start incorporating that into, into my life. Sure. Yeah, I don't think it's bad for anybody to do this because, uh, like I said, 15 minutes is about all it takes and it makes such a huge impact such a big, big change. And like you said, Amy, if I were to come out with, you know, this uh, plan, people would find no time for it, or they would have less willingness for this. But uh, for this 15 minutes, and you continue to do it, people are okay with that. Mm -hmm. So and there's not a lot of guilt, right? I'm not taking away from my patient, I only got 15 minutes, right? So I'm nobody's doing without me right now. Right, so it works. Have you had feedback from other caregivers who have kind of circled back with you after incorporating this plan and, and what kind of feedback have you gotten from people? Well, I have actually, after I teach, I always give out my email uh, address and ask people to keep in touch and let me know if there's anything else or if you're getting kind of, you know, you need a, a, a little bit more push to do it. And I've had people come back and say, thank you for, for showing me this. Uh, and, and honestly, I, I kind of leave it open. I always leave it open for people that if they need a little plug, please give me a, give me a call. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and I'm thankful many of them. Do. Yeah, I'd like to talk a little bit more about the aspect of soul care, because I know a lot of our listeners um, do have a faith in a higher power, but a lot don't. And that's not necessarily something they would incorporate. So what are some other ways, if, if somebody doesn't identify with a higher power, what are some other ways that people could look at nurturing their soul? Wow, that's a good question, Amy. I've always had a higher power, so I don't know if I'm going to answer this uh, as, they, as they would. But I, I can tell you this, that typically, I mean, everybody has something something they can't honestly believe that they they control everything in their life right so whatever their their default is just recognize what you control maybe that's it and leave the other i i lift the other but maybe you just leave the other 
right? But you don't control everything. And people are foolish to think that they do. That, you know, when Bob had seizures, it wasn't because of what I was doing. I couldn't stop those seizures. I couldn't stop his infections. I couldn't stop uh, the strokes. I couldn't stop his dementia. I couldn't stop hallucinations. I couldn't stop that stuff. Mm -hmm. I could help in the situations that they came up. I could make sure that I gave him his medicine on time, that he was safe during seizures, that I could call an ambulance. I mean, there's a lot of things I could do on that end, but that was you know, that was all post events. I couldn't do anything pre-event that I had no control on. Right. Yeah. And that's a good point. You know, with, um, you know, I think that we all probably default into wanting to control a situation yeah. because we want the best outcome. And so I like what you said about um, if, if you don't have a, a faith to lift it up, then have enough faith to put it down. Yeah. Yeah, just separate yourself. Uh, you know, I worry about people that think that they they fail if their their patient doesn't doesn't get healthy or or passes away because um, or gets worse or or the the issue becomes more serious. That's not the case. How do you have that often difficult conversation with a caregiver who is still trying to control all the situations? Well, first of all, they have to understand what disease that they're talking about, right? And I think that helps too. For instance, much of what I teach is for elderly and dementia. Not that Bob was elderly because he wasn't, but 21 years with dementia and then going back to earn my credentials, I, I kind of followed this, this path. And so for caregivers, that can be extremely difficult because there's two different mindsets there. There's the reality, logical mind that a healthy mind has. And then for cognitive impairment, it's their reality and they're two different realities. And mm. so for a caregiver, it could be very frustrating, right? Um, something as simple as, you know, today is Thursday, the 26th of March, and the patient may say, it's not Thursday, today is Tuesday. And June is my favorite month. Well, you know what, surrender, you're never gonna win. Today becomes June, it becomes right Thursday or Tuesday. And, and I always say, those what the small stuff. It's the, you know, those kinds of things just, let them go. It's, it's not worth a fight. You'll never win a fight. Mm -hmm. uh, learn to apologize. Uh, as caregivers, we're not always right. We want to be like everybody else, but we're not always right. So, uh, you know, learn to apologize and keep things simple, as simple as you possibly can. Sure. Are there any other, um, anything else that you want to talk about and make sure that the listeners know regarding the caregiver survival plan? So I think the biggest part of the survival plan is wanting to survive and recognizing that you need a survival plan, right? I, I, you know, we talked at the uh, last episode about caregiver burnout, and I said it's real, and it scares me because it is real. That whole social isolating and, you know, abuse of everything from, um, you know, maybe alcohol, drugs, people, attitude. We're hard on ourselves. We're exhausted, and uh, when you recognize that, be the first one to stand up and go. You know what? I can't go down with the ship. I have to leave this ship. Right, and, and I'm in charge, so uh, if I'm truly a good leader, and if I'm truly a good caregiver, then I have to realize that I need to caregive myself, 
right? I take care of myself. And that's the first thing. Once you recognize that, and once I recognized that, well, there was no turning back. And I felt so much better uh, that when the book was published, and not that it was a bestseller, it was never intended to go on a bestsellers list. It was intended, remember, my survival plan was to survive. That was that was it, not to change the world, but to make Jill Gaffner survive this. And and so when I did go ahead and, and publish, the number of people and companies that contacted me to say, can you come in and help us? And even so much so, we, I had a couple contact me in regards to areas where they felt caregivers, they had suicidal caregivers in their population. And that's when I knew that this isn't just my plan. This is a general plan that will work for others. And mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, I, I just encourage people, please be careful with yourself. Yes, you have a patient. And yes, you have a loved one. And you love them with all your heart. But love yourself with all your heart, too. And, and Jill, you know, you've had um, other significant demands in your life, right? Uh, executive role with Chrysler and the other things you've done. And so to keep your ability to be a caregiver sustainable all that years, this is kind of the foundation of how you put that together for yourself, right? So Absolutely. An yeah. important piece is recognizing, because I think a lot of caregivers, you know, when people tell them, take care of yourself, it's like, oh, you know, if you only knew, right? But it's really true that you have to put yourself first, or at least in the equation. Yeah, I kind of, go I'm ahead. Sorry, go ahead, Jeff. No, I was just going to say, I kind of carved out a little bit in how I thought about things, because I too had significant responsibilities in different parts of your life. And one way I came at it was to, um, to kind of identify the key roles, right? I'm a spouse, right? I'm not just a caregiver, I'm a spouse, I'm a son. You know, I've got one of my parents was still alive. You know, I've got um, responsibilities with a nonprofit I was trying to involve in and finding a way to include yourself in that list. Right. That when you plan your activities, you make sure that you do plan things for yourself. And I share your observation about walking. For me, that was that was the easiest and the most sustainable. And the one I found for me made the biggest difference. Yeah. Well, and balance, which is, I think, what you're referring to, right? We have to maintain balance in our life because if we get off balance, it affects everything. It's like a domino, right? So everything needed to be balanced. The house, the kids, the finances, Bob, his health, my job. I couldn't afford to lose my job. I couldn't afford to lose Bob. I couldn't afford to, you know, for the kids to move school. There's so many pieces that are constantly moving, right? So just like you said, I had, you had to take inventory of all those roles that you play. And, and you do, but the only person that can balance that was you, Jack. There wasn't anybody else that could balance that. Uh, oftentimes what I'll explain to people, because you'll have, you'll have general people, not necessarily just caregivers that will say, oh, if you only knew what I was going through, you would understand. Oh, if you spent a day in my shoes, blah, blah, blah. I don't think I ever said that, not one day. And, and here's what I've learned through, through life. Everybody's got their thing. Everybody's got their stuff. I call it a wagon full of burdens, right? Some people talk about it. Some people don't talk about it. But nobody gets off scot-free in this world. We all have a, a wagon of, of debt and broken relationships and health issues and maybe parent issues, relationship issues, all these burdens that sit in our wagon. 
our wagon is invis invisible and we all carry that wagon. And the thing about our wagons is that everybody's wagon weighs the same. So the burdens in your wagon, Amy, they weigh as much as the, uh, to you as Jack, the burdens in your wagon weigh to you as the bur burdens in my wagon weigh to me. And the whole world is like this. So it's really hard for anybody to go, oh, you should see what I have. No, everybody's got it. And when you look at it that way, it's a matter of how do we manage our wagon? And looking and recognizing all the stuff that we're pulling behind us and making sure that we balance it. Because just like a wagon, if one wheel falls off, it all falls off. Does that make sense? That yeah, makes absolutely. perfect sense. Yeah. yeah. I think yeah, that's so. probably a, a great place to stop for this episode. Thanks for joining us today on the Caring Together podcast. If you'd like more information about the resources that are available to family caregivers, please visit our website, livingstoncaregiver.org, or you can call our caregiver hotline, 844-734-CARE. That's 844-734-CARE to speak with a caregiver specialist. Please consider subscribing to the Caring Together podcast on your favorite podcast platform so that you can receive each new episode when it's released. We hope you found today's podcast helpful in your own caregiving journey. And to all the family caregivers out there, thanks for joining us on Caring Together.